You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Thanks so much for joining me. I was thinking about putting some dates, date stamping each episode by putting the date into it up front. If you think that's a good idea, reach out and tell me. If not, well, whatever, but I might do it just so as though there's a bit more of a verbal signature of when the episode has been, or the interview in the episode has been conducted. But whatever, no matter when you're listening to this, it's a choice conversation with one of the originals, Steve Riley. He's the drummer in L.A. Guns. Now, for those out of the loop, there are two versions of L.A. Guns. Steve is in the version that features Kelly Nichols on bass guitar. So Kelly and Steve are the original rhythm section from the band that Tracy Guns started way back in the day. Tracy Guns, of course, is continuing with another version. And we do talk a little bit about that through the conversation, but that's not the catalyst. The reason for the chat with Steve is to talk up the new album, Renegades. It's very, very good. Even if you don't like this sort of rock and roll that LA Guns typically produce, this album has been wonderfully recorded. Steve has spent a lot of time getting it right in the studio. Plenty of great riffs, some great vocals. It's all there. So here he is, Steve Riley from LA Guns. Hey Steve, it's Andrew Bikai-Smith calling for our chat. How are you going? Andy, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm not doing too badly. Actually, settling in for a day of, of writing, as I tend to do these days. What's the uh, what's the day held for you thus far outside of these interviews? Yeah, right now it's a, it's a Tuesday over here, mm. and uh, yeah, you, you got a full day ahead of you. I do. Yeah, yeah. I've just uh, in, at the ripe old age of forty two. Well, I was 40 when I went back, but I went back to uni and got a journalism degree so as I could do this sort of stuff with some academic rigour around it. And I've decided that I want to write right. some books, write some books as well, mate. Oh. And there, um, you'll be in it. I've got to tell you that because my uh, book is focused on the podcast and all of the the uh, the people who have achieved uh, career longevity, which you of course have, mate. So congratulations, you're going to be in the book. Oh, terrific! Thank you. <laughs> well, you've had you've had a, a long and illustrious. I know it hasn't always been easy because it never is playing rock and roll. But you know, from your time in Wasp to what you're doing here with LA Guns, you know, you, you've done it. You've actually done it, mate. So I know you've got a story to tell. Oh man, yeah. And I did like you know a ton of stuff, Andy. Before Wasp too, you know, I did. Uh, I started recording like in 1975. You know, uh, Todd Rudman produced the album, and uh, I did a bunch of one-off albums, and then you know, obviously, I did. Steppenwolf for a couple of years and then Kill before Wasp and so yeah I've been doing it for quite a while now I've been pretty fortunate this is a potentially a, a difficult question to ask but if you had your time over again what do you think you'd do differently you know I I always uh, go back to the, the early Wasp the, the, the original Wasp thing was just so good and so much fun to do that I, I just wish that we had done something different than than disband that band. That was the only thing really that I had done in my whole career that I wish had went differently. And uh, I just wish that original was with me, Blackie, Chris Holmes, and Randy Piper never really broke up. I just thought we had something really special. So... I just I, I I look back at that and I wish that that might have been the only thing that had a change. Otherwise, I really like everything that I've done with LA Guns too. 
But, you know, that was something really special with Ross that I thought was happening, and it didn't last as long as I wish it did. I think a lot of people will concur with that because after that, those albums, when you left, Blackie turned it into more of a traditional heavy metal band or a glam band, whatever the term might be these days. But you guys performed some raucous rock and roll together, didn't you? And that was when Chris was at his absolute height. So I couldn't agree more with you. Oh, man, I tell you, that band, uh, that original four of us, man, that went out in 84, we were just on fire, and I knew we had something special. And uh, Randy Piper was such a big part of that, so when he got fired, mm. uh, it, that, it really changed the dynamics of the band, and it, it slowly declined into me getting fired and then Chris getting fired and Blackie just taking it out on its own. So it uh, the whole dynamics of the band changed big time. Is it just an ego thing? Is that why the band fell apart, meaning Blackie wanted to be the rock star and the centre of attention and you guys, he wanted you guys to be more of the supporting cast? But I know you're all very strong personalities and is that on reflection what you think it was? You know what, I think that it was just a, a friction that was already in the band between Blackie and Randy but Randy was such an important part of the band because he was the dual lead guitar player with Chris Holmes. They both had different styles. Mm. Randy played Randy played like a Billy Gibbons type of lead, and Chris was more of like an Eddie Van Halen type of uh, type of lead. And and Randy was such an important part as the second vocalist in the band. So I think the friction was already there when I joined the band, and. Uh, you know, Black was already pretty much the leader and he was this lead songwriter. So I think that he already had control of the band and we were following his lead. So I don't know, you know, maybe he just wanted to go on on his own. And then, and, and that's what's happened. And uh, when I got released from the band in 87, I was fortunate. LA Guns was right there waiting for me. And so I, I joined up almost immediately. It didn't end for you, of course after Wasp because you joined LA Guns and you've had a great career in the band ever since and it arrives to this point now because you've got this new album out called Renegades and I think if anybody thought that your brand of hard rock was dying or was no longer relevant you know the Rolling Stone like to say rock and roll is dead plenty of people do but it's not of course because they should hear what you've conjured on this album here you've done such a great job here Kurt Sounds fantastic. So congratulations for recruiting such a wonderful stage presence and voice as what he's the voice that he brings to the band. So did you guys write the album as a collective or can you tell me how it all sort of came together? Yes, you know, I mean, we were so fortunate to find Kurt. Uh, Kelly Nichols and myself, we were ready to audition since, uh, you know, as many singers as we needed to uh, to find the right guy that could do justice to the old material and be a fresh songwriter. And uh, he was the first guy that we found or even looked at. Somebody in Las Vegas told me, you got to check out this guy, Kurt Froelich. And uh, I went up on the internet and I, I, I watched some stuff that he had done. He had done some original stuff and some cover material with doing Bowie. And actually, one of the songs I watched was him doing Ashes to Ashes mm. at a club, and it was on internet, on YouTube, and I was just like bowled over. I was like, this guy is great. And I called him up, and it, we were so fortunate. We didn't have to audition anybody, 
and he is just a prolific songwriter too. He brought in four of the songs, and we do do it as a collective thing. It, the people, I, I brought in a couple. Kelly brought in three. Kurt brought in four. Scotty brought in one. And what we do is we, we have a very democratic way of doing it too. Whoever brings in the gist of the song, the rest of the band finishes it in the pre-production mode. And we all take credit for it. So if it does good, everybody does good together. And um, but it, but each guy is a, a songwriter. We all write, and we we really went through like about thirty-five songs that we all were sitting on, and uh, we picked out the ten that we thought should be on this album. But we have a wealth of material, and everybody writes together. And the pre-production is such a really great way for everybody to put their little mark on the song and that's why we share credit on everything yeah congratulations on that too yeah because you, you've got an open environment which means that it's cohesive mate and there are too far too many bands i was just writing about cradle of filth who you might know a british black metal band who, who had an enormous career trajectory back in the late 90s but lost it right. because because people in the band did not want to be they didn't want to contribute in the way that you've just described which i think is the key to success so but success only comes when you've got people that are willing to contribute and that was a key part of the reason why that that version of cradle of filth broke up and and yourself and kelly though you found scott griffin and, and kurt how did you find them though was it was it an audition process or are they friends of friends so to speak yeah you know obviously me and kelly when kelly decided to come back into the music scene because he had taken quite a time off he wanted to do other stuff and he had a new daughter that he wanted to be with and he just took a, a nice time off and we stayed best friends and obviously we're battery mates there with a rhythm section from the very first go of LA mm. Guns and so we're, we're best friends so with Scotty Griffin he had already played in LA Guns as the bass player when Kelly was out and he was very smart to do that too he's a lead guitar player but he knew that we were going out to tour, we were going to record, and that the bass player position was open. So he, he's like a really multi-talented instrumentalist. He could play piano, bass, guitar. It just sing great. And so when Kelly came back into the fold, Scotty pretty much thought that he was out of the picture. But I called him up, and I had seen him play guitar on the road with us and play in sound checks and in the studio and uh, I knew he was really great on lead guitar and I called him up and I said do you want to do this and we want you to play lead guitar and he was just bowled over he was like absolutely so I think we made a great decision because he's a terrific guitar player so there was no audition there it was just an automatic fit and like I said with Kurt we were ready to do auditions with other singers and and check other singers out and we didn't have to do that he was the very first guy we looked at and we just again were just so lucky that he was as good as he is his his voice is just tremendous his songwriting is great and he's a great fan of la guns so he wanted to do really good justice to the old material and so putting the band together the chemistry was right there immediately it was very organic and we didn't have any auditions at all, just Kurt coming out and singing, and we were like, boom, we would off and run. We were so fortunate. So there are two versions of the band around these days, because I was looking online, and sources actually list Renegades as a successor to the other versions of the band. Uh, 
the other version right. of the band who had an album out, I think it was last year, called The Devil You Know. But they are unique right. bands. So have you got a strategy for differentiating between the two bands? Well, I think that we definitely sound different. You know, I mean, even though we're going to play some of the older material that me and Kelly co-wrote, and, uh, you know, obviously Kelly, everybody knows Kelly wrote Ballad of Jane, our biggest hit. But we're going to obviously do the older material because the fans want to hear it. But the, the, the difference is in this new record, we don't sound like the other guys do. We definitely have a different style of writing, and it still stays true to L.A. Guns. But we're also going to do a different uh, approach to our live shows for like the last 25 years, I've been doing two to 250 club shows, and I don't want to do that anymore. It's a grueling, grueling experience, and and you you go on at 12:30 at night, and you're driving 400 miles to each club show, and it's just a really, really hard deal. What we're gonna do with me and Kelly, we're going to do maybe like between. 25 to 40 shows a year and they're all going to be festivals casinos and maybe fairs yes. and maybe like a couple of satellite club shows but the other guys are going to continue on doing those 200 to 250 club shows and not do as many festivals so there is going to be a different approach to how each band goes out live we're not going to do that big club tour everywhere if we come over to Australia or New Zealand or Japan or Europe and there's clubs to do that's fine but in the states we're going to definitely stick to festivals fairs casinos and really like a soft ticket show where there's like maybe three or four or five other bands from LA or the genre on the bill and it's it, they're real comfortable shows to do the festivals I love that about the United States that bands can play in those places that you've decided that you want to pursue because it does make your life a lot easier because you are one of say eight or nine bands that'll be on a bill and, and these places give a lot of value to the fans by allowing fans to like stay overnight have a few bevies and then have a bit of fun yeah. maybe maybe you know gamble 50 bucks or whatever it might be and then go and sightsee or whatever it might be because we, we don't really have that here in australia of course we haven't got a big enough population to support it but i would i tell you i might be writing an entry about you in my book but I, i'm going to pitch this to you now once my book is finished i'm going to send a copy to you and oh that would be terrific i loved it what what I what I would like to do, mate, is I would like to help you bring your biography to life because you're somebody who has a story. You're, you've got tales, as I say, from the road. You've been there. You've done it. You've lived the life. I I think what's happening at the moment is people are looking at people of your era as like Motley Crue, you know, like the buffoonery of the Motley Crue. But the truth is, there's a lot of bloody hard work that goes into what you're doing, and. That's I don't true. think that aspect of it has been covered, and you've just articulated it beautifully there because you've worked out, mate, that you can't do these 200 club shows a year. It's not going to work out. It's unfeasible. Nobody, I think bands that are in their 20s struggle to do that, yet alone people that are in their 50s. And I'm in my 40s. Oh, no doubt. Couldn't... No doubt, Andy. I got to tell you, the, the uh, you know, obviously when the big machine went down in music in the mid-90s, late-90s, you know, we all had to adapt, and one of the things you had to adapt to was to that a lot of the shows were going to be club shows, and 
So you had to get into this mode of saying, we're going to be out there and we're going to be traveling and not even in a tour bus. What we would do is we would fly in and we would get like a nice brand new van and drive between shows. And the thing with those club tours is that the equipment isn't good. The, the, the rooming, the hotels isn't very good. And the, the, the time you go on is like 1230 in the morning. And then you wake up early the next morning to do the long drive to the next club. When you do the festival spheres and casinos, the, the equipment is top notch. The rooming is top notch. The staging is huge with great PAs. So, I mean, it makes it a lot easier too. And, and it's just, you know, it's just not that grueling schedule. And I can't, I really don't want to do that anymore. And that's fine if the other guys still want to do that. But me and Kelly, we're going to get to settle in over here and, and do really, really nice, comfortable shows that, like you said, have like, it's, it's eight or nine bands on them. It's a full day or maybe even a full weekend, like M3 here, the M3 festival. And just, uh, it's a really nice experience and you get to do an install there with mm. the whole fans. And it's just, it's just really comfortable all the way around. But we want to play on good equipment. We want to stay at nice rooms too. And the clubs don't always uh, have that, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. God, I'm a musician too. And I've played through some completely shit PAs <laughs> and, oh, and you, no you don't feel and, and you don't feel like as though you're putting on a show and you just don't you, you can never be in the moment which you need to be to put on a good show exactly and the other thing is is that you know in some bands heads too they're saying yes but we're headlining but that really doesn't matter you know I mean even if we go on in the middle of a bill at a festival that's great because the crowd is already there. And like I said, it's such great top-notch of PA and equipment and staging and uh, you full backdrop and everything that, you know, you got to get out of that mode of saying, oh, but we want a headline. No, that's okay. If you, you're headlining a club, it's a totally different thing. It's not really the, – the fans are probably worn out by 1230 in the morning and if you're going on in the middle of a bill in a festival, you got a fresh audience out there. So I like that, you know, I, I, I dig that whole scene. Hmm. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, you've, you've been doing this for a long time. You're a survivor, I think it's fair to say. And the detail in that is you've had to learn how to manage a band appropriately and you've had to learn how to recover from being ripped off and recover from right. people slandering you in the press, this sort of thing. Obviously, you've got a lot of resilience, but what else do you think is the, the secret ingredient or one of the ingredients, if you like, that has helped you survive and succeed in such a tough industry? It's kind of like, you know, you have to uh, just really love what you're doing. You you have to love playing your instrument first, and that that that's number one. You really have to love playing the guitar bass or drums or be a singer keyboardist you really have to really dig doing that and that that that's the reward right there but then after that you have to really really learn to bounce back from all of the other shit that's going on if if you take the criticism in the press too seriously and don't be and you're not able to bounce around it it, it's going to destroy you. 
and you have to understand a lot of people are going to like what you're doing and there's going to be a lot of people that don't like what you're doing. And if you can take that criticism and bounce back from it and not take it too seriously where it's going to destroy your whole mental state, then that, that, that's a big, big factor. The other thing is, is pretty much what I was just telling you. If you can take being in the middle of a big bill and not being offended that you're not near the top or at the top of the bill, that's big too. You're, you've got to understand you're on the bill. You're on all of the advertising. Your name is everywhere. You're going to play in front of a huge crowd. So go with it and play that gig and don't be offended that you're going to end up in the middle of a bill or even maybe near the bottom of a bill if there's a lot of bigger bands than you because there are going to be a lot of bigger bands than you on that bill. So just go and do those shows, but you got to really, really love what you're doing. And uh, I fell in love with drums when I was like six years old, so I've been playing for so long now and I still love the instrument. And I love being able to say that I somewhat mastered the instrument. It's some, it's, it's something that's missing nowadays too. I just read a, a thing on the internet where Guitar Center is here in LA is going to go bankrupt and it's because they're not selling any instruments. And that, that's, that's a big thing. When you, my whole lifetime, I've grown up around people that have wanted to learn an instrument and master it and master how to play that instrument and play any style on that instrument. And uh, that's going to be a big hole in the music industry where the next generation, there's a, there's a bunch of kids still playing and a bunch of new great bands out there, but not the in full force on what it was. And so I think just the loving what you're doing, playing what your instrument you're playing is just a huge factor. And, making and making it go for a long time you know yeah what you just said then resonates big time because in 2012 i was in guitar center in new york i traveled over to to just hang out and buy some instruments and of all people the bass tech or bass and guitar tech in there was billy idol's former bass player i can't remember the gent's name now he's an african-american guy but we got talking about all sorts of things he's an awesome guy and he after you know, after about ten minutes of talking to him, he sort of went, "Oh, you know, things aren't going that well." Essentially, with the sales side of things, and I went, "Okay, why?" And he goes, "All the people ever want to buy, and this is back then, are that they literally right. come in and say, I just want the cheapest insert instrument here: keyboard, bass, guitar.'" And I shit you not, mate. The next person that came in said, "What's the cheapest bass that you have that I can buy?" And he just he just looked at me, and I went, "Oh my god." It happened right it happened yeah, in front no. of my eyes. It, it was amazing to see that happen. And it's no surprise to me at all that we've evolved to a point from that from that point that instruments aren't selling oh, at totally. all. Because I know the kids oh, these I, days, I know. they don't like rock and roll and I don't understand it. Look, I'm 42. I even find that trying to get people into bands underneath the age of about 35 is impossible. Actually, right. i I got to tell you, I tried to start a band with some younger people I couldn't do it. It actually fell apart before. We had gigs booked and everything. Like, I mean, this is a paying gig, man. You know how rare they are in the industry, in, oh, especially yeah. in Australia. Yeah. But these guys were mm-hmm. hopeless, absolutely useless. Totally. And I, I couldn't that's believe it. And, 
Yeah, and but this is this is what we're facing, I think, at the moment, and and I think it it, it provides definitely more opportunity for the for the Steve Rileys of the world, which I think is a wonderful thing. But then I think you also need the new the need the new bands coming through. I I still shake my head in amazement that I see so many, and they're twelve year olds at this point wearing Metallica, Guns and Roses, and Nirvana t shirts. It's good in one respect, right. but why aren't they getting into the to uh, North Tail like Bill Hudson's band and some of these younger ones that are coming through that that they can grow up with? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, with radio and TV gone, we were just so fortunate in the 80s, too, because we had MTV that was so dialed into rock and roll, and we were all over it. Everybody, every band from L.A. was all over it and from outside of L.A., too. And we had radio, too, because MTV sparked the radio, too. So we had the radio and TV going. So when that dropped out and it, we didn't have that kind of forum to show our music and, and people to hear our music, the next generation of bands, it went up to Seattle for about four or five years. Mm -hmm. But then after that, it kind of got, it started the spirit and it was like getting really, really hard to find rock and roll anywhere on radio or on TV. So now we have this generation of bands that are aware of the bands from the 80s and the 70s, but they're not it's totally interested in it because they don't hear it a lot and they don't see it a lot. So, I mean, it, 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 the, the whole thing is, is really turned upside down and there's not really a lot of record stores. I mean, Jesus, we used to hang out in the record store for hours and just, you know, browse and listen. Yeah. And there's, there's not a lot of that right now either. So rock and roll right now, if you have some sort of a, if you're a classic rock band like L.A. Guns or Wasp, you, 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 you're really fortunate. You've got this, uh, this, this whole catalog of songs that, you're able to still go out and tour and you're still able to record. But right now recording, even with Renegades, we're so proud of it. And we, we, we really feel great about it. And Golden Robot Records is doing a terrific job with what they're doing throughout the year with it finally coming up to, to the release after three singles. They're doing such a terrific job. But the, the, the fact of it is, is recording right now is almost a tool to get you out to play live now because you don't have a lot of opportunity to Absolutely. get it on radio stations and, or on TV or make videos. So you're using your recording and you're trying to do your best job at that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but you're going to, it's really going to become a tool to help you get out there and play live. So the whole thing really is a little bit upside down right now. And, um, but yeah, I feel for the younger bands too right now because they're trying to get stuff going and there's just not a lot of opportunity in this. There's still a lot of good bands out there, young bands, but you don't get to hear them that much or see them that much. It's, sad. it's kind of sad. No, I agree, yeah. Mate, safe <clears throat> words and wise advice. That's why these interviews that only last 25 minutes or so are always over far too quickly with... Legends such as yourself, I so totally appreciate having this conversation, and I'll have to reach out to your manager or to your agent, and uh, or through John and Golden Robot, I suppose. Hopefully, things are still intact with those guys in in the future, mate. But I'll let you know when the book's done, mate, and I'll send you a copy. And 
I just congratulations on everything that you've managed to achieve and uh, you know with all this bloody oh, COVID man, stuff. Thank you. you know when it's when it's done, mate. I oh, hope we man. see you over here. Yeah, you know we had a Zoom meeting with the Golden Robot people yesterday, and one of the things we talked about was an Australian, New Zealand, Japan tour in 2021, and uh, and I hope that comes off because. I really, really want to come over there badly. I've only been over there a couple of times, and uh, I just want to come back to Australia because I know there's like a, a ton of great rock fans over there. And um, you, you, who knows? we got our fingers crossed. We have our whole schedule from 2020 this year pushed into 2021. Nothing was canceled. It was all just postponed. But right now, we are... Um, just got our fingers crossed that we can pull these dates off next year and this thing calms down you know it's been crazy it's just shut down everybody's touring mm -hmm. it has indeed mate yeah it's um it's nuts it's uh it really <laughs> plenty is. Of fodder out there for the conspiracy theorists believe me and it's not a conspiracy to say why this particular virus you know we've, we've survived three or four of these yeah. things in the last last 10 15 years alone but this one here is the one that stopped the world why <laughs> all, oh, all in the year of the U.S. It's presidential election. It's just nuts. It yeah. totally is. It's in there. there is a lot of conspiracy theories about this virus. and uh, But I'll tell you what, it really did just shut down everything in rock and roll and touring and making movies because I live out here in Hollywood. And uh, it's just shut down pretty much everything. And that's why we were so fortunate, bro, to finish Renegades at the end of 2019 we finished the whole thing artwork and everything before this virus set in otherwise we would have been screwed if we tried to do it this year we wouldn't have been able to do it it would have been crazy no that's great yeah, and um and you know what one other thing too i wanted to tell you andy like i know fans it's a tough thing to find out what bands are doing and how they're doing and what's going on with their touring anybody that is a fan of la guns they can go to laguns.net and they can find out everything about our touring schedule, everything about the album and how they can get it, because it's so difficult to find the outlets or where you can get it. And so LAGuns.net is the place for any LA Guns fans. They can find out everything about the band with the album and the touring and merchandise and all that fun stuff. Hmm. Yeah, Renegades is fantastic, mate. It, it truly is. It's, it's such a well-put-together oh, rock and roll album. It's, it's hard rock in just the way that I think a lot of people like me who have been listening to heavy metal, hard rock, punk for the last 35 years, it's been that long for me now, 30 or 35 odd years, ever since I was about 12. Uh, like the way, you know, as we're evolving, mate, and getting a bit older, it's listenable. You know, it's still heavy, it's still got that crunch, but it's listenable. I really appreciate that. I'm so glad that you like it, man. It means a lot to me. And um, I got to produce the album too, so it's, it was a lot of fun putting it together and uh awesome. it comes out november 13th and we're just excited for everybody they know they, they've heard the first three singles but we're really excited for everybody to, everybody to hear the entire album right now hmm. all right well look good luck with everything mate and uh i absolutely would love to catch up with you when you guys come down to australia but look out for that book sometime in the near future as well Oh, listen, good luck with that, too. It sounds like it's going to be a great book, man, and I can't wait to read it, and thanks for including me in there. That means a lot to me, too. And uh, we, me and you, we will definitely hook up if we come down, down to Australia. Wicked. I look forward to that, man, yeah. Thanks so much, brother. I really appreciate okay. your time, eh? Okay. Be safe, Andy. I'll talk to you soon. No worries, mate. Talk to you. Okay, catch you.
You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Before I let you go, if you think it's a good idea, as I mentioned in the introduction to the conversation there with Steve from LA Guns, that I put a verbal date stamp into each podcast episode, let me know. Let me know via socials. I'm easily found on Facebook and on Instagram. I could probably just go ahead and do it, not even ask you, but fuck it. Might as well put it out there and see if somebody gets back to me. People have been pretty good actually getting back to me about things in the past, so I'd appreciate some feedback. Anyway, thanks for listening.